I want to talk today about appetites. Appetites. And I want to begin by saying, you have no idea what God has planned to fulfill through you in this world. You are not what people define you. You are not what uh, people say about you. You are what God says uh, you are. You are unique. You have a unique assignment tailor-made for only you to find it and to fulfill it. You have what it takes to accomplish the assignment that God has given you. And God factored in that a pandemic will happen during your time, but he still custom made you and made you a masterpiece to be able to navigate through this pandemic and achieve his plan concerning your life. And any other shortcoming that you'll ever face in this world, God had already factored in that you're able to withstand that's the reason why this is your season. This is the time you were born. Thank God you were born in this time. Don't ever wish that you were born in the time of Moses or David or any other patriarch. This is the time that God saw it fit for you to show up in this world. And let me encourage you by the word of God in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. God has already given you everything that you need in this life. Even in this uh, pande uh, pandemic, God has already provided the thing that you need. He has provided the resources. He has provided the connection. Everything that you need in this life has already been taken care of. And God is not planning to give us. He has already done so for his children. He has factored everything before you came into this world. And by his help, he will help you and I navigate these challenging times. And having said this, allow me to begin talking about appetites. Today we are looking at appetites. James chapter number 1 from verse number 12, the Living Bible Translation. This is where we begin our discourse for today. I'm going to read it for you. It says, happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he's tempted. Happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he's tempted. For afterwards, he will get uh, as his reward the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. And remember, verse number 13, when someone wants to do wrong, it is never God who is tempt tempting him. Look at that scripture. And remember, when someone wants to do wrong, it is never God who is tempting him. For God never wants to do wrong and never tempts any, anyone else to, uh, to do it. Verse number 14, temptation is the pull of man's own evil thoughts and wishes. Verse 15, these evil thoughts lead to evil actions and af afterwards to the death penalty uh, from God. So don't be misled, dear brothers. Here we see that temptation, according to the scripture, is at the pool of man's own evil thoughts and wishes. And the Bible says, remember verse number 13, remember when someone wants to do wrong, it is never God who is tempting them. In other words, the Bible is telling us that it's a choice. It is your choice. It is your choice here. Never mentioning the devil, never mentioning God. It is your choice here. Allow us to read another scripture so that we can be uh, on one page and so that we can now go ahead and dissect the, the topic for today called appetites. Proverbs 25 verse 28, the Amplified Version says, Like a city that is broken down and without walls, leaving it unprotected, is a man who has no self-control over his spirit and sets himself 
up for trouble. In other words, a lack of self-control will set you up for trouble. The Bible equates somebody who has no self-control to a city that is broken down and without walls. Imagine a house without a door, without windows. The person should not be, the owner of the house should not be surprised to find cats and dogs in the place because there is no control system. And when we don't have self-control, we are equated to a house that is broken down and without walls. Let's look at the Living Bible translation of the same scripture, Proverbs 25:28. It says, "With a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out." Now, you don't end up at the place you desire. You end up at the place you crave. Write that, that down in your heart. You don't end up at the place you desire. You end up at the place you crave. You are where you are based on how you manage and control your appetites. There is nothing God has given you that you cannot control. And the moment you cannot control them, they have become a snare. Your response to an appetite will determine the direction and quality of your life. Your response to your appetite will determine whether or not you will fulfill God's plan for your life. What you do and what you... What, uh, let me repeat it again. What you don't like or don't know can, can never be used to tempt you. What you don't like or what you don't know can never be used to tempt you. For example, if you have never eaten snails, that is not your delicacy. There are countries where snails are a delicacy. And snails can be used to be tempted to those people. But you and I, who are not fans of snails, can never be tempted using snails. So, it is what you like that can be used to tempt you. Every great man and woman in history, whether past or in the future to come, have risen or fallen based on their control on appetites. It's either an appetite on money, an appetite on fame, an appetite on strange women or men brought them down. They never come down because of any other thing. It's just an appetite they did not control. So this teaching for today is very important for you and I because no matter what we do, we must manage our appetites. If you are going to be a great man of God, if you are going to be used of God, if you are going to change your generation, then it begins by you controlling yourself, you controlling your appetites. The greatest enemy against you is not even the devil. It's not even the demonic world. The greatest enemy on you is you. If you can conquer you, you can conquer the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 10 verse number 12, the Bible says, So be careful if you're thinking, Oh, I will never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. But remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. And no temptation is irresistible. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. 
So dear friends, carefully avoid idol worship of every kind. In other words, in the King James, he says, no temptation has come upon you that is not common to man. Every temptation you'll pass through is common to every man. Almost every person is tempted with money. Almost every person is tempted with uh, either sexes. It is common to man. Then the Bible says, but God is faithful. He will make a way in that same temptation. I read the message Bible of the same scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Don't be so naive and self-confident. See, it is self-confidence that will take you away. It is self-confidence that will be your greatest undoing. Never beat your chest that you can do it on your own. Rely on the grace of God. He says you are not exempted. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It is useless. This is the Bible telling us. Cultivate God confidence. Verse 13, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the cause of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He never lets you be pushed past your limit. He's always, uh, be there. He will always be there to help you come through it. So my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. That is a powerful scripture from verse number 14. So my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. When you see people uh, reducing God to just blessings, to just material stuff, please run away as fast as you can. Now, what is an appetite? Let me define for you what an appetite is, is all about. An appetite is a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need. An appetite is a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need. Now, let's look at four important things that you need to know about appetites. Four important things that you need to know about appetites. Number one, God created appetites, but sin distorts them. God created appetites, but sin distorts them. For example, an appetite to eat is God-given. An appetite uh, for sex is God-given. It comes from God. But sin has distorted these appetites. Because, for example, if you have sex before marriage, that is not the plan of God. The plan of God is for a husband and a wife to enjoy sex. So it's a gift. But when applied in the wrong place, it is not, no longer a gift. It's a, it's a snare. So God created these appetites. An appetite for sleeping, it is God-given. God created it, but sin distorts. Number two, appetites are amoral. Amoral. They may be not necessarily sinful, but they have a way they can drag you. They are not necessarily sinful. For example, there is, no, there is nothing sinful about sleeping. There is nothing sinful about eating. But if you don't put eating food on a leash, it can be counterproductive. Number three, appetites can never fully and finally satisfy you. 
they can never fully and finally satisfy you. The only way or, uh, what they know is more. They can never fully and finally satisfy you. It is the very reason you can eat chicken today and in an hour's time you desire to eat chicken again because you can never fully and finally satisfy an appetite. The only word they know is more, more. An appetite to make money will never be fully and finally satisfied. You will want to keep on making more money. Number four, appetites always whisper now and never later. An appetite will always whisper to you now and never later. In other words, an appetite thinks about now, the now moment, and the consequences of the action of the appetite is blood from you. For example, if somebody is given to uncontrolled appetite for sex, they think now. They don't think about the consequences that will come. They don't think about HIV at that particular time. They don't think that uh, sleeping with someone's wife or husband has repercussion that particular point in life. It is now, not never. Lastly, let me add one more point. Lastly, appetites are part of your life. They are part of your life. You cannot pray them away. You cannot wish them away. You can only learn to control them. You can only learn to control them. And so today we are going to look at, there are so many types of appetites, but I felt I should share four of them that we need to watch so much, especially in these times and seasons that we are facing. Four important appetites that you and I need to watch on. And the first one is food. The first one is food. As important as food is, you have got to learn to control your appetite. Philippians 3.17 from verse number 20, the New Living Translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who conduct shows that are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse number 19. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. If you notice, the Apostle Paul is not talking to unbelievers. He has begun by saying, dear brothers and sisters. So he's speaking to believers here. He's speaking to saints here. He's saying, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. He says, watch that you don't uh, 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 become, become friends, colleagues with people who are enemies of the cross, whose God is their appetite. In other words, what is keeping them, their value system is their appetite. Listen to me, people of God. Food can make you miss the plan of God for your life. Yeah, as shocking as it may sound, food can make you miss out on the plan of God for your life. That is why fasting is very important. Fasting helps you control your body and make your spirit in tune with the Holy Spirit. You don't fast to get stuff. 
You don't fast to get a car. You don't fast to get a miracle. You don't fast to get material stuff. If you have been fasting for material stuff, please change that. We don't fast for material stuff. There are people that are getting cars and houses and all manner of material stuff without fasting. So we don't fast to get material stuff. Why is fasting very important? Fasting is important because you need to silence voices that keep on speaking in your life and magnify the voice of the Holy Spirit above every other voice. So every time you feel like you're not hearing God clearly, it's a sign that you need to go to fast, begin a fasting period. And fasting actually helps to weaken your body. Now, uh, eating, like I've said, is very important. But eating benefits your body. It never benefits your soul. Now, when I fast, I am benefiting my spirit and not benefiting my body. I'm weakening my flesh so that my spirit can be strong enough to listen to God, to control my body. In the triune being of a human uh, uh, being, you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. The person that should always be in charge is your spirit man. And fasting helps your spirit man to be in charge of your soul and of your body. Now, it is amazing to note that the very first temptation we see in scripture, the symbolism used here is food. Let's look at it. Genesis 3 from verse number 6. The Bible says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Notice that. And a, and a tree desirable to make wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and ate. Let me ask you a question. Before the serpent appears into this picture, Eve must have seen the tree, but it was never appealing to her. Because God had already spoken that this tree should not be touched. You should not eat this fruit. You can eat any other fruit, but not this fruit. So, now the devil comes and the first thing he does is to make the tree good, appealing. He changes the appetite of the woman. And now the tree that was an instruction, don't touch, don't eat, is now desirable. It's amazing that in the recent years, Marriage was honorable. Marriage was like the tree in the garden. You were not meant to touch any person's husband or wife. But right now, even married people are desirable. Even married women are desirable. May God have mercy on my generation. If so that the tree was good before her eyes and she partook of it. This is how appetites can be if you don't put a leash on it. Her appetite together with Adam was the genesis of the fall of man. Watch on your appetites. Be very careful on your appetites. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 says, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Talking about idols. For some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their consciousness, being weak, is defiled. This is where I was heading to. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. In other words, I usually say we are free but not are free. We are coming from the law of Moses to the law of the spirit of life. You are not free. He says here, 
Because liberty talks about freedom. He says, don't let this freedom become a stumbling block. In other words, if your eating can cause somebody to stumble because they are a younger Christian, don't eat in their presence. So here we see you have to control your appetite. Let me show you another example. We're going to look at incidences in the scriptures concerning food. And I want to show you an example of Genesis 25 from verse number 27. A story that you all know. Genesis 25 from verse number 27. Let me read for you. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of, of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Esau loved, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate at his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Verse 31. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as, for, as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. Swear. So, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave, gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. <laughs> Let me show you something here. In the Old Testament, the first son. When it came to inheritance, they were given what we call a double portion. Now, the double portion meant if the father had like probably uh, 10 pieces of land, he would give the son a double portion, one parcel of the land and another one. So the son will have two pieces of land, and the first son. The other sons will have one piece of land. That is why the first, that, that was what was being done to the firstborn. Now, you will notice that Jacob makes a stew. And Esau comes in from the field and he was weary. Let me begin by saying this from that point of scripture. Watch every time you are weary. Watch every time you are losing strength. It is when you're weary, it is when you're losing strength that the enemy attacks. He was weary. He was losing strength. In other words, he was not focused. Mm -hmm. And then the Bible says, in verse number 31, But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. Now, because I know you're intelligent, ask yourself this question. This man has just come from the field. He is hungry. He is saying he is about to die. That is what an appetite does. It exaggerates things. I am about to die. He was not about to die. An appetite focuses on itself and blurs each and every other thing. An appetite will focus on itself and blur every godly relationship that will help you not get into that appetite. An appetite will blur every other thing and take, take away every source of accountability that would have helped you. He says, I am about to die. So what is this birthright? In other words, what was so important in the Jewish culture became like a crust of bread because of an appetite. 
What are you selling because of a bowl of soup? The Bible says, Then Jacob said, Swear to me of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew. Look at that. Exchanging something that is not important for something that was so important because of a bowl of soup. And look at that. He ate, drank, and went his way. He forgot he had sold the birthright. He forgot the most important thing. He had given it away. He despised his birthright because of an appetite. Now, my question to you, would you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew? Would you do that? The saddest reality is we do it most of the time. We have appetites for different things. Do you know there is an appetite for progress? Do you know there is an appetite for responsibility? Do you know there is an appetite for respect? An appetite for winning? You have to win at all costs. For acceptance, for fame, for recognition, to be envied for things. These appetites, they were created by God. But they can be they were distorted, like I said, by sin. You have got to learn how to put them on a leash. Esau destroyed his destiny, changed his destiny because of an appetite that he could not harness. Every day we are tempted to trade our destiny with God for a bowl of soup. What is your bowl of soup today? How can you keep your eyes on eternal stuff? You could be trading a relationship, a marriage, uh, some counsel, godly relationships because of a bowl of soup. Watch on your appetites. Watch on your appetites. Now, I want to show you the gravity of the consequences of Esau's appetite. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. As I was doing my study, I realized something that was so intriguing, that when he sold this birthright, everywhere the Lord introduced himself to the people, he will say, I am the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He stopped introducing himself. He would have been introducing himself if Esau kept his birthright as the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. For a bowl of soup, Esau traded the genealogy of Jesus because the genealogy would have come from Esau all the way to Christ, but it came through Jacob. The costs of entertaining an appetite you're not controlling. He says, lest there be any fornicator, Hebrews 12, 16, any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now write this down in your heart. Your indiscipline of food is a symptom of an underlining problem somewhere. Notice the Bible calls him a fornicator. Your lack of controlling your appetite concerning food can be classified as a fornicator, as fornication. Basically, 
If he could not control his appetite for food, he could not control his sexual urges too. May God help us in Jesus' name. In Exodus 16, the children of Israel complained and murmured because of food. And this is buttressed much more in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It says, Now these things became our example to the intent that we should not last after evil things as they also lasted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The people following Jesus in John 6 verse 24, the people who were following Jesus actually were following him because of bread. But when he began preaching the word, they left him. John 6 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. As important as food is, learn to curb this appetite. Learn to curb it. I'm reminded of a man of God that shared something some couple of years ago. He said that the Holy Spirit told him, I am not uh, the one controlling your life. I have already set the number of days that you shall live. But it is what you eat that will determine the length of days that you shall live. Learn to curb the appetite for fast fruits. Fast, sorry, fast food. Learn to curb your appetite for sodas. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He will lead you. He will uh, tell you what you're supposed to do. Learn to curb this appetite. The second thing we need to look at today, the first one was food. The second one is sleep. Sleep. Sleep is very vital. It is an important part of human existence. And as important as sleep is, you must learn to control it. Proverbs 24, verse number 33, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. You cannot allow yourself to sleep like an animal in hibernation. Even if you have to sleep, there are times allocated even scientifically for a human being to sleep. But you cannot be sleeping for 20 hours. You cannot be sleeping for 15 hours. Like you're in hibernation, like you're an animal in winter. You must learn to control your sleep. Have you noticed that most of the nudgings and promptings of the Spirit of God to pray come in the night? Ask yourself, why does that happen so? That God will nudge you in the, night of the, in the middle of the night to wake up and pray. Let's look at incidences in the scriptures concerning sleep. Matthew 13, verse 24. Matthew 13, 24. The Bible says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came, sowed tears among the wheat, and went his way. The enemy never came as long as the, 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 the seeds were being sown in the field. 
because the farmer, the man himself, was alert. He was working on the field. He was sowing good seed. The enemy waited when the man went to sleep. As important as sleep is, learn to curb your sleep. Get into moments of prayer. Get into moments of vigil. You don't need to have a kesha in your church. You can have a kesha in your home. Get into moments of prayer. While men slept, the enemy came. Now, look at Matthew 26 from verse number 39. Matthew 26, 39. Jesus speaking, or scripture speaking about Jesus. He went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed. This is just about the time he's going to now be betrayed and, 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 and uh, now going to the cross and so on and so forth. And he prayed saying, Oh my father, if it is possible, let this car pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? In other words, when I am praying, when you're praying, you're actually watching. You're actually, actually, when you begin to pray, God begins to open your inner man, eyes, the eyes of your inner man. You begin to see things in the spirit. He was saying, he told them here, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Then verse 41 says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray. In other words, when you're not watching, when you're not praying, there's a higher chance you will fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me and unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of the sinner. I want you to catch this attention from the scripture. The Bible says, He came the second time, verse number 42. He prayed. He came, verse 43, and found them asleep again. Verse 44 says something very sad. So he left them and went away again. If we don't curb our sleep and hear the nudgings of the Holy Spirit to pray, a time will come your prayer will no longer be effective. There's a reason why the Lord is asking you to pray in this time. There's a reason why the Lord is nudging you to wake up at certain particular times. If you do not heed the nudgings, a time will come your prayer will not be effective again. May God help us. You can be able to curb your sleep. If you can uh, 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 have a vigil of watching a movie the entire night, you can also have times to pray. God is not asking us to do things we cannot do. God is not asking us to do things he has not given us the ability and the spirit of God to help us do it. You can do it. I'm not saying you do a Kesha every day. But if I were you, I would have Keshas once a week. Once a week. Just to wait on God. To hear on God. To find out his heart and mind concerning your life.
Remember what the Bible says, while men slept, the enemy came. May God help us in Jesus' name. You can struggle today because of an indiscipline of yesterday. When Jesus was praying, the disciples were sleeping. When Jesus was sleeping, the disciples were praying. Learn to control your sleep. Second lastly, sex. Sex. Now, sex is a gift from God. God has given us sex so that we can bring forth godly generations through procreation. But when we cannot control this gift, it can be the greatest weapon against our lives, against our destinies, and the walk of faith. Sex was meant to be enjoyed on God's term between a husband and a wife. Yet the Bible talks about controlling it, even for the married people. Let's look at it in 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, a husband and a wife can control this appetite. It's a gift to them, but they can control it by, by, uh, in some times uh, of prayer and fasting. But they have to agree together. So my advice would be, if the, if the couple have not agreed, then there's no concession. They must agree. They agree, I want to take like two, two, two days of prayer and fasting, and then we'll continue with our sex life. But we also have to be realistic. You cannot say, I am taking three months. We are, uh, <laughs> we are doing what? We are not doing it for three months. I need to seek the Lord. That cannot happen. That is not realistic. You must agree together. Because the Bible says, and, uh, and, uh, and come together lest you be tempted. I have noticed that temptations for married people are actually even fierce than single people. We might debate it, but I have seen it. It is actually easier for a single person to resist than a married person. And so it is important for married people to have and know their targets of the enemy. And it is important also for levels of consecration. You can decide, let me set two days aside for, for my consecration with the Lord, just to pray, just to fast. And then after that, please continue with uh, that gift in the name of Jesus Christ. Like I've said, it is evident that marriages are being fought so very much. And uh, one of the ways and one of the weapons that I've noticed the devil is using is money and sex. Nowadays, people don't value the institution of marriage. But there's, an institu there's, a, there's a generation that is coming up that honors God in the, in, the, in, the, in the faculty of marriage. May we be that generation in Jesus' name. Having said that, Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit there is self-control. A husband must have self-control. 
a wife must have self-control. Single ladies, single gentlemen, you must have self-control. It is in you. You don't pray about it. You become aware that you have self-control. Self-control is the very nature of the Holy Spirit that tells you, no, in our kingdom we don't do this. That is a fruit that you have it in your life. Now, let's see incidences in the scriptures concerning this appetite. I want to take you to 2 Samuel 11 from verse number 1. 2 Samuel 11 from verse number 1. The Bible says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle. I want you to notice that key phrase. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servant with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Have you noticed something here? It was spring, a time of the year, and that time kings were meant to go to battle. They were meant to be doing something. But David has sent everybody, has sent Joab and all Israel to go and fight the people of Ammon and besiege Rabbah. And now he's all alone in Jerusalem, in his palace. And guess what? And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Question is, if he had gone to battle, chances are he would not have seen a woman taking a shower. So David sent and inquired about the woman and, said, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and said, I am with a child. From this account, we can see a number of things. Number one, your appetites have a way of showing up when your eyes are off your assignment. They are actually stronger when your eyes are off your assignment. When you're not following the, the, the plan of the Lord concerning your life, you might be susceptible to falling into a, into a temptation, into an appetite. Another thing we see is that the power of an appetite can cause you to sacrifice something you have worked hard for for many years. Imagine one appetite made David take another man's woman. He did not regard anything. Mark you, at this particular point, David had wives. We are going to see that. Let's go to verse number 26 of 2 Samuel 11. Verse number 26. It says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, mm -hmm, she mourned for her husband because David had ordered Uriah to be killed so that he takes his wife. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now I want to show you the cost of this appetite. Second Samuel 12, verse number 7. Second Samuel 12, verse number 7. Then Nathan said to David, Prophet Nathan, You are the man. 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives. So he did not lack wives. <laughs> he had wives according to the culture back then. Right now we have one wife. And your master's wife into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. So in other words, in that culture, if you needed more wives, me God, I would have given you. Why have you despised the command of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah. Notice how many times God is repeating the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you and your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Oh God, have mercy. For you did, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel. Before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born, to you shall die. And if you read the, the, uh, uh, the account of David, much of what he said is that Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah. No matter what happened, no matter even the forgiveness, it was mentioned that David did everything according to the word of God except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, the cost of an appetite. It brought sword back to the house of David. It made the child to die. Now, David learned how to tame his appetite finally. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse number 1. 1 Kings 1, verse number 1. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the, the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. They knew it was the nature of David. That was the appetite for David. But I love what happens. So they sought for a lovely young woman through all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him. But look at this last verse. But the king did not know her. In other words, the king did not touch her. In other words, David conquered his appetite. It is possible. If people in the Old Testament could do it, how much more us, full of the Spirit of God, we can do it in Jesus' name. Lastly, money. Lastly, money. The Bible has much to say concerning money. I will give you two scriptures for today. Number one, Ecclesiastes 7.12. 
It says that money is a defense. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. Money is a defense. Money can defend you against loans. Money can defend you against um, uh, uh, being homeless. Money is a defense. Money can give you car. A car can give you a house. Money can give you a certain level of happiness, but not the true happiness. Second thing, money answers all things. Money answers all things. All right? A feast is made, Ecclesiastes says that a feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Money answers everything. How does money answer everything? If you need to go to town, you use bus fare or you fuel, fuel your car. So money is answering that question. It's answering a question. If you're uh, still renting, money is answering the question of rent. If you're planning to build, money will answer the question of building. So money answers all things. While money is good and needed, an uncontrolled appetite for money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6, 8, it says, And having food and clothing, with this we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drawn men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It did not say for the love, it did not say for money is the root of all evil. It said for the love, the love, the appetite for money is the root of all evil. All kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Are you seeing that? And, uh, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is what has made the fivefold, um, uh, not all, but some of the fivefold ministers to change doctrine. The love of money is what has cost the church that now people don't want to come to church because the fivefold ministers, not all of them, love money. May God help us in Jesus' name. It says the love of money. And it says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Do you desire to be rich? Then temptation is not far. Snares are not far. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. In other words, remember what we said in James, that each and every one of us is tempted by our own desire. It is your desire that tempts you. Before you can put the devil into the picture there, Watch on that desire because now the devil magnifies and, and gets, gets a leeway because of your desire. The appetite for wealth is the reason for many kinds of evil. You will see murder. You will see deceit. You will see corruption. You will see bribing. Name it the love of money. I want to show you 2 Timothy 3.1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days, Perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. 
and from such people turn away. There are incidences in the Bible where you don't pray. You just run away. And one of the incidents is here, 2 Timothy 3.1. He says, if you meet people in these last days who love themselves, who are lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, run away. Don't pray about it. Run away. There are things to pray about. There are things to run away. Let me read this message Bible for you so that you can understand a few things here. It says, the message rendering says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, you know, like dog-man-eat-man society, unbending, slanderous, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated, with, uh, bloated, addicted to lust. And this is the saddest reality. And allergic to God. Men, the Bible actually says that in the last days, people will be allergic to God. <laughs> May God help us. They will make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they are animals. Stay clear of these people. What about the Living Bible? What does it say? You may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, thoroughly bad. They will be hard-headed, never giving to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, preferring good times than to worship God. They will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. As much as money and making money is important, you must control this appetite. Let us see finally incidences in the scriptures concerning this appetite. I'm going to begin with Matthew 28 from verse number 12. Matthew 28 from verse number 12. And when they were assembled, let me give you a background of this scripture. Jesus has been crucified. He has resurrected. He is actually in the final hours of him now ascending to heaven. And he is now going to be addressing the, the, the disciples. And when they were assembled, with the, uh, he, he had already talked to the disciples. Now here we are being given account of the chief priest and some of the people that were assembled who are called the elders back then. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if, this, uh, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took money, the soldiers, and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. People 
soldiers in particular, took a bribe so that they may distort the message of resurrection. See the nature of an appetite. In other words, chief priests back then paid soldiers a large amount of money so that they may say that the disciples took the body of Jesus away and that resurrection never took place. The power of an appetite. The power of an appetite. My question is, how many people did they persuade back then because of a power of an appetite? Acts 8. Acts 8, verse number 18. And when Simon the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer here, was delivered and he got born again, but he had not dealt with his appetites. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you. Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. As fivefold ministers, the giftings that God has given us, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the gifts of healings that the Holy Spirit has given us, they are for the body of Christ. May we not merchandise the gifts. May we not merchandise the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we preach the true unadulterated word of God and let us uh, uh, allow God to worry concerning providing for his servants. Preach the word. Be true to the word of God. Let him worry about supplying. If you have to worry about supplying, then you're playing God. But because he cannot preach, I'm going to do what he cannot do and allow him to do what I cannot do. The Bible says in John 12, verse number 4, John 12, verse number 4, then one of his disciples, talking about Judas, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. <laughs> Remember, in Matthew chapter, I believe, uh, uh, is it chapter number 7, somewhere there, there were certain ladies that were uh, supporting the ministry of Jesus financially. And guess who was the treasurer? It was Judas. And the Bible says here that he was a thief. He used to take the offering money from the box. And I love the grace of God because Jesus knew he was stealing. Jesus knew he didn't care for the poor. But imagine he never despised Judas. He still gave him chances upon chances upon chances. And this tells me, even if you have an appetite you're struggling with, you can run to the throne of grace and obtain mercy in times of need. 1 Samuel 8, verse number 1. 1 Samuel 8, verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, prophet Samuel, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abia. They were judges in Bathsheba, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lacquer or money, and took bribes and perverted judgment. See, anytime people are 
bribing and they are doing things for money, you are just perverting judgment. And we see it every single day. And I pray that as ministers, as children of light, I pray that God will help us walk in the light of who we are. You don't need to bribe. God can give you business. Don't bribe your way. God can give you business. Don't, don't begin a business to make money. Let, that is not the mindset of a believer. Begin a business to change lives. It is when you're changing lives that money will find you. Begin a hospital not to make money, but to minister to people. Begin a ministry as you're led by God, not for money, but to see lives transformed. Lastly, 1 Peter chapter 5 from verse number 2. And then we conclude. 1 Peter 5 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willing, not for filthy lacquer, but of a ready mind. This is addressing the fivefold ministers and the young ministers as well, that we should feed the flock of God. God knows that ministers need money. God knows that ministers have children, they are married. Our work is to feed the flock and the owner of the flock will make sure he provides for you. I like taking God at his word. I will preach the gospel. I will pray for his people and I will allow him to worry about my provision. So I came today not to put you down, but to encourage you and to remind you that your greatness in the making. And if you are going to amount to anything, you have got to watch out on the appetites. The writer of Hebrew says, the sin that easily besets me. It is an appetite that cost Samson. It is an appetite that took uh, a lot all the way to Sodom, an appetite. Watch on your appetite. I pray this word ministers to you, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you pinpoint which of the appetites that has been coming in your life more often than not, and how to curb it. My sincere prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help you curb your appetites. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord cause his light to shine upon you. May God bless you, keep you from falling, sustain you by his Holy Spirit. May he lead you and guide you in Jesus' name. Amen.